0: Welcome to this week's Think Jewish. The title that went out in the invite was called, it is called, Facing Reality. What does this week's Torah portion have to do with facing reality? So there is two parts in this week's Torah portion which is going to represent two different stages of facing reality. The first one is right in the beginning. What does it say? The children of Israel, Alu Chamushim. And the word Chamushim, we question. What does the word chamushim mean? And Rashi brings two interpretations. One says that the word chamushim comes to the word What is chamisha in Hebrew? Five. What does chamushim mean? That only one fifth of the Jewish people left Egypt. What happened to the other four fifths? The other four fifths in last week's Torah portion, during the plague of darkness, they died and they were buried. The second, thank you. The second interpretation we find over there is the word chamushim means armed. They came armed. They knew they were going to have to face war. God told them that they're going into the land of Canaan, and uh, to make it into the land of Israel, and therefore they came with arms. They came with weapons. I want to focus on the first, on the first statement. What does it mean that four-fifths, what does it mean four-fifths of the Jewish people did not leave Egypt? What does that mean? And why? By the way, do your mathematics. If we say that there were 600,000 from males, adults from 20 to 60, add on females, add on children, add on senior citizens, We're talking about close. Most people estimate that the amount of Jewish people that left Egypt was 3 million. Now that was one-fifth of the Jewish nation. Now you see how large the Jewish people really were in Egypt. The question is, why did 4 out of 5 die? And the answer is, according to our sages, the answer is because they did not want to leave Egypt. The problem with that is that God said to Abraham that your children will be slaves in a land not theirs for three generations and the fourth generation will return here, will return to the land of Israel, then called the land of Canaan. Therefore, God could not break his word. Every single Jew had to leave Egypt. However, they weren't going to be forced. And a whole different explanation from the Rebbe blessed memory why when Mashiach comes everyone's going to leave, e- leave there may be those who are going to say we don't want you know we finally paid up our mortgage we have a beautiful uh, house on the beach and then now you're coming you would have come when I was in there I was, uh, had problems I would have come with you but that won't work they can't say we don't want to go the option of dying isn't an option they have to go however in Egypt they had the right to say we don't want to go However, if they won't go, they would have to die because of a technical issue. God promised Abraham that no Jew is going to be left in Egypt. They're all going to leave. So I want to just focus on that concept. So here are the people, four-fifths of the people. We're talking about 12 million out of 15 million Jews said we're not leaving Egypt. Knowing good and well what their only other option is, that is what they chose they were not leaving Egypt what I'd like to present to you about this is that they were not able to face reality now let's back up a moment before the Jewish people went to Egypt right Jacob and his children and his grandchildren they weren't slaves they were free men However, they came into Egypt, they were there for 210 years. And during those 210 years, from about 130 years, from when the last of the children of Jacob passed away, they were bitterly enslaved. And therefore, they took on a new paradigm of self. Then comes a time where this little episode of 210 years, let's stick to that number, is over and they're supposed to return to what they originally were however what happened to their paradigm they don't remember what was as far as they remember from the day that they were born they were born to be slaves they forgot that they were once free people and now comes the time and says listen this was temporary This was a covenant that God made with Abraham for three generations. The time is up. It's time for us to return to normalcy. And they have no idea what we're talking about. What normalcy? This is normal. This is what my father remembers from when he was born. And this is what I remember from when I was born. So what are you talking about a free people? What are you talking about returning to normalcy? We never had that. So, facing reality here was a big challenge because they had a different interpretation to reality and they were not able to let go of the reality that they perceived. To go with Moses to be a free man in the desert was more dangerous than dying in Egypt. So today's class we talk about facing reality. Moses came and told them that there's a reality that's going to take place now. And there was a huge war between the reality they would have to face and the reality of their paradigm for the last 210 years. Four out of five could not win that struggle. Step number one. That's why we're talking today level number one, facing reality then I want to share with you level number two in this week's Torah portion we also have the famous crossing the sea Kriyat Yamsuf and the Az Yashir and the whole bit now here's an interesting thing Toisves tells us one of the commentaries on the Talmud tells us that the Jewish people entered and left the Sea of Reeds on the same side. They made a U-turn. They never crossed over. Universal Studios made a mistake. They actually made a U-turn in the Sea of Reeds. Now the question is, why? Why did God take them through that? There are some commentaries that say that every single Jew had to go through the process of conversion before they reached Mount Sinai. This was the mikvah part of the conversion. That's how some commentaries deal with it. They show us how all three parts of the conversion took place. For men, it's four parts. That's one interpretation. There's a different interpretation that has to do, again, with facing reality. According to Kabbalah, the reason they had to go through this kriyat yamsuf into the water and the verses here are very interesting it says they walked they walked on dry land however within the sea that means that the water split they didn't walk in water they walked on dry land however their experience was one of what's going on here What did God split for them? And in Hasidus and Kabbalah we explain that the water represents the tenth of the emanations, the Svirot, called Malchut kingship. And the job of kingship is to cover the light. Kingship is the vessel, while the first nine is the light. What stops the lower worlds from seeing the paradigm of the higher worlds is that Malchut puts an end to it. Malchut puts a closing to the upper world and from here on is going to be a whole new level god splitting the sea was to show the jewish people a different paradigm of reality in the exact words that we talk about there's something called alma de Escasia and alma de escalia those are not hebrew words those are aramaic words alma de Escasia means the hidden world and alma de escalia means the revealed world. Land creatures represent the revealed world because even though we're taught that everything comes from the earth if you remember God said, "And let the earth give forth living creatures let the earth give forth trees everything came from the earth God formed the human's body from the earth nevertheless, even though we're connected to the earth we don't live within the earth we're separated Fish, on the other hand, live within their source. Kabbalistically speaking, that means they live within the consciousness of their source. To us, our relationship with our source is one of abstract. When I wake up in the morning and I look at where the stock market is, that's reality. When I do my prayers and I believe that that's going to bless my day, that's abstract. Spirituality for us is abstract. We don't live within the consciousness of our source. We have to fight with the third eye to see exactly contrary to what these two eyes see. And that's why if you remember Darizal, Daria Kadosh focuses on Moses and he says Moses wasn't from the creatures of the revealed world. He was from the creatures of the hidden world. Why was Moshe called Moshe? What was the reason? Batya, which actually means the daughter of God, who was the daughter of Pharaoh, Batya took him out of the water. And thus on a Kabbalistic level, Moses had a total different reality than the rest of us. Moses lived in the way the creatures of the hidden worlds lived. To him, divinity, God, God being his source of life, was a tangible reality. The stock market was an abstract idea. And that's why you'll notice that there are two prophets. Moses said, hazinu v'sishma ha'aretz. The word hazinu comes with ozen, and whispering into your ear. Moses, when he spoke, who was close to him? He was close to the ear of heaven. Vesishma merachok. To hear from a distance is the earth. There's another prophecy where that prophet wasn't like Moses. He said, (laughs) Because most humans are close to earth and an abstract distance from heaven. Moses said, (laughs) Let me whisper into your ear heaven. And that, by the way, is also the reason why Moses, according to Kabbalah, had a speech impediment. Because he came from the hidden world, not the revealed world. It was difficult for him to live in revelation. Speech is revelation. Why am I telling you all of this? For just one purpose. So first we have in the beginning of the Torah portion, we talk about a very simple problem of facing reality. Accepting reality. The Jewish people just found out, what do you mean, we're not slaves? No, you're not slaves. This was temporary. It's over. We need to leave. Four fifths said no can do. Just can't live with that. And therefore, they chose to die. That's how much they could not accept reality. When we talk about many times, you talk about in psychology that your perception is reality. Not always. Because it was about to change. They weren't going to have a master who they can blame everything on. They would have to make decisions. With decisions comes responsibilities and accountability. They couldn't deal with that. I don't want that. We're going to have to become our own people. We're going to have to deal now with laws and with everything and decision-making and government and, and wars. No, thank you. We're very happy to be slaves. As bad as it is, we don't have responsibility and accountability. We don't make decisions. So we have at the beginning of the parasha a very clear contrast between what was reality and what reality they're now being questioned whether they could or cannot accept. Slavery versus freedom. And then we have another issue of accepting reality and this accepting reality becomes very difficult as well and we're going to use the verse of the Shema Yisrael at the end of the second paragraph what does it say there al ha'aretz. can you live heavenly days on earth that's hard that's very hard thank God throughout history Jewish people know how to conquer the ways of the earth we have it. We've mentioned this so many times. Look at the percentage of Jews that are Nobel Prize winners versus the percentage the Jews are of the human population. You just look at that. The Jewish people, when they're put into a situation of earth, and you've got to learn. Learn the stock market. Learn medicine. Learn technology. We see, we see thank God, that Israel is a startup nation. We see that the Jewish people, as they say, they find a way. But here you're telling them something else. We're going to do now a very interesting paradox. We're gonna live on Earth, within the environment of Earth, and nevertheless, we're gonna have to have heavenly days. Or as my teacher would say, keep your feet on the ground and your head in the clouds. That's not easy. It's really not easy. I don't know if any of you remember driving. Remember the first time you guys started learning how to drive? One of the difficult challenges was that probably your driver teacher told you you don't look right in front of the car. You keep your eyes up. And for those who are so used to you, what do you mean? I might right now kill someone. You tell me to look down the block. But yeah, that's the way it works. Keme'a ala ala'aretz. Don't look down at your feet. If you want to know where your feet should go, look up to heaven. Again, this acceptance of reality to be physical with a divine, a heavenly set of rules. And they're very strong in contrast. Any of you sitting in the audience out in the business world knows that it's very, very in contrast to what we would think is right. Any of you in the dating world knows that the rules of the Torah concerning dating creates a huge problem if you wanna hold on to a relationship and you keep on dealing with these issues over and over again. And thus you have to literally split the sea. And if you want to know what splitting the sea means, what it means is, simply speaking, let's just talk simple here. Let's not get Kabbalistic all night. Nature is a glove on God's hand. Splitting the sea is to let you see the hand within the glove. Most of the times we don't get to do that. Most of the times the glove is not transparent and that's why we have the consistent the consistent struggle between the two realities so much so that some religious Jews think and mistakenly so we got to give up on a certain level of success because there's a certain level of success that there's no kosher way to get there so we're going to have to give up on it and there are others who think the contrary i'd love to be more religious but i'm not willing to compromise my goals of success and being that i can't get there in kosher ways and a hypocrite i'm not so i'm just not going to be religious and both of them are making the same mistake they're both making the exact same mistake they think that there are two forces there's one force that's called nature that pretty much today belongs to satan and then there's religion and that's the question of stage two in this parsha. The splitting of the sea. Can you see that beneath the water lies the ocean bed? Can you see that in the hand, in the glove of nature, lies the hand of God? And when you really understand that, you focus on what we sing Yom Kippur after called Nidre. And you remember we sing over there a beautiful song, Kihine Kechome. It is just like the axe in the hand of the chopper, the pen, the, pa- the paintbrush in the hand of the painter. Not the axe and not the paintbrush has any power of making decisions. And so too, not the glove has any power of making decisions. The glove will not move unless the hand, the fingers, within the glove moves. And when you have that type of paradigm, then you're living on a whole different acceptance of reality. But most of us are not willing to accept that difficult paradox of a paradigm. That reality we're not willing to accept. Rabbi, religion and control, my home may be, the shul for sure, but when I'm out there in the street trying to make things happen, I've tried your way. I tried the showman and away. And I tried the Shomu Shabbos way, and I tried the Kosher way, and I'm still single and still poor. So now let's try something else. That concept of that, those two realities is the challenge of splitting the sea. Not to go extreme in either way, not to go extreme that I need to be poor because I'm committed to be religious, and not to go extreme that I can't be religious because I'm committed to be really successful. And thus, we face today the question of accepting reality. What is so hard in facing reality? What is so hard? What's so hard is a very simple story, which many of you probably have heard. So along goes this guy, racing recklessly, goes right over the cliff. Grabs onto a branch. And now he's hanging on for their life. And all of a sudden, like they say, there's no atheists in the bunkers. When you're there, you pray. And all of a sudden, he looks up to heaven and he asks of God, Please, God, please save my life. Whatever you tell me to do, I will do. Please do not forsake me now. And a heavenly voice comes out and says, Really? Anything I tell you to do, you're going to do? And the voice said, And of course, he answers, Yes, 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 God, yes, God, thank you for answering me. Anything you say to do. And then he hears the heavenly voice say, Leave go of the branch. You hear silence for a moment. And then our friend hanging over the cliff calls out, Is there anyone else up there? that leaving go of the branch, anyone that has dealt with any form of addiction, any person that has dealt with any family member with an addiction will know that that is the question. Because to the addict, the drug, the alcohol, the eating sugar, whatever it's going to be, that is lifeline. The alcoholic cannot start his day with at least one shot just to calm his nerves so that he can get through waking up and just getting out of bed. And now we're telling this alcoholic, you want recovery? Recovery doesn't come till after sobriety. So you're going to have to leave go of your branch. And this alcoholic is looking at you saying, you want to kill me, that's what you want to do. Because there is no way in his alcoholic drunk paradigm, there is no way he can deal with life at all without a drink. The same for the drug addict, same for the shop addict, same for the sex addict, the same for the sugar addict, and it goes on and on and on and on. Addictions come in all colors and flavors. So when you tell the person in Egypt for 210 years, all he knew was, that above him was an Egyptian with a whip. That's how he lived. That's how he was provided for food. And that's what sustained him. And then you're telling him, let go of it. Now you and me sitting here in this room, we just don't get it. Because we are post Abraham Lincoln. We just don't get how any person doesn't get that freedom is better than slavery. And by the way, parenthetically speaking, we think we don't get it. Because anyone who lives with codependence is living in slavery. I would say 9.9 out of 10 are codependents. If you have a Jewish mother, you have no chance. <laughs> the point here is very simple go tell a person who this is their lifeline, they don't live without this. Tell them you don't have to be like this. Don't you understand? You're actually not living life, and you're afraid by leaving go of the branch, you're going to die. You are dead. Now we're asking you if you can leave go of death and embrace life. Can you stop being a slave? Is it okay if I tell uh, not such a, not going to say it's off color, but not such a pleasant story that I once heard by Fabrigen. The man's name is Reb Ruven Dunan of Blessed Memory. And there's a whole backup to the story. The person went to the Rebbe. and He told him he's going to be in Israel, in Jerusalem, for Pesach. And the Rebbe said, no, so why don't you stop by the Lubavitcher Shul? Definitely there will be a Febrengin over there. Meisha aram this is Lubavitcher Shul. And this guy was not planning to go there. But then he was there. He said, you know what? The Rebbe said to go in. I'm anyway not doing anything. Let me go in. And he sits down by a Febrengin of Ruven Dunan. Now, sitting there by Rav Dunan, Dunin, uh, sitting by the Fabrangen, and Rav Rubin Dunin was speaking Hebrew, but every once in a while he threw in words of Yiddish. This person didn't know Yiddish, so one of the people next to him would translate any time it went into Yiddish. But he kept on hearing Rav Rubin blessed memory, say words that you hear very often by a Fabrangen, and "Zaynish kein schwanz." What it literally means is "Don't be a tail," "Don't be a tail." He asked someone, what does that mean? Well, ma- so the guy started laughing. Reb. Ruben Dunan sees that they're laughing in the corner. So he looks right at the guy and he says, what's the problem? So he said, Rav, Maze Now, Ruben Dunan was going to give him a lesson <laughs> what it means, don't be a tale. Reb. Ruben Dunan actually comes from Haifa. And he was on a tractor and he dealt with agriculture. And he asked this person, have you ever walked behind an ox or a cow? Have you ever watched, forgive me, the hind of a cow or an ox when they walk? The guy says no. He says, well actually I grew up and I did see it. So let me just tell you what happens. When you're watching from the rear of an animal, them walking, because of the bone structure, you'll notice that their whole, again, forgive me, the hind is shifting, right? One side goes up, one side goes down, as the, as the legs are moving. So the guy's like looking at, okay, the rabbi's giving me a lecture in this. Okay, I guess it's important, Kabbalistic. And then the rabbi looks at him and says, have you ever seen the tail of the animal when the animal walks? <laughs> he doesn't, for that I've, no. He says, I did. See, because the tail has no real muscle bone structure, it just swings along on the rear end of the animal. Wherever the animal goes, that's, that's where the rear end shifts. That's where the tail shifts. And then he looked at him and said, now you understand what I'm telling you? Don't be the swinging tail on the rear end of society. Don't. Be a free man. Have an opinion. You will make many mistakes. But have an opinion. Be responsible for your opinion. Be accountable for your opinion, and if you make a mistake, there's what to be done, and then you make another time a decision. Have an opinion. There's a great book called Googled, Not a thick book. One of the cute things is in the beginning when they try to interview someone, they, for Google it didn't work out by the end, but the guy had a famous line about himself. Many mistakes, but never in doubt. Slaves do not begin to understand what that means. And now you understand why I said codependence is slavery. The person who cannot have an opinion because they're afraid to be wrong and take responsibility and accountability could not leave Egypt. Four out of five Jews were not able to take that accountability relationship with God, with themselves, with their people. They were not able to accept reality. They wanted to be stuck in this virtual reality called slavery. Because for the slave, it's really virtual reality. Because to be a tail swinging on the rear end of society is not reality. And they were not able to accept reality. You will notice how many times children are brought up that way. Again, every once in a while I'll tell a personal story. I started going shopping with my girls. And one of my daughters was literally begging me for an opinion. About a Shabbos dress she was getting. And I told her. I only answer you two questions. A, if I can afford it. B, if it meets the standards of tzinias. Modesty. No other opinions you're going to get from me. And it was amazing to watch a girl who was really looking for her independence beg me, Todd, just tell me, do you like it? And I would just look at her and tell her, do you like it? And she was going crazy. She was going crazy from it. It's a reality today. We're not talking about 3,300 years ago. Forgive me, people. I'm not looking anyone directly in the eyes for a moment. How many of you, when you go to the restaurant, usually say, I'll have what they're having? What are you having? Yeah, oh, that's exactly what I want. How many of us do that? As if having an opinion of what I want is going to scare the boy or girl away. I'm recording so whatever here goes you guys saw the runaway bride remember about the eggs this runaway bride the interviewer found out that every single one of her grooms thought that she likes the eggs exactly like he does and if you remember when she finally broke out of it and she wanted to find herself what scene do you see You see her deal with three different types of eggs, tasting each one, trying to form an opinion. A grown woman never had an opinion. How do you like your eggs? How are you making it? Exactly how I like it. That's the issue here. So I will say that I'm not sure that anyone in this room is part of the one-fifths. We may all all very well be part of those four-fifths. Accepting reality is not easy because your reality will only become a reality when you're willing to sit in the driver's seat. Now, obviously, God and everything, I understand all of that. But the bottom line is God did something amazing. He gave every single person the power to be the center of their own universe through freedom of choice. And if you're not willing to accept freedom of choice, you're not willing to accept reality because that is the ultimate reality that God gave us. Creation is meaningless and therefore has no reality unless you're willing to embrace freedom of choice. This concept is step number one. This concept of willing to accept the reality of freedom to be able to accept the reality that God has given each and every one of us the mandate that you must live life with freedom of choice if not creation makes no sense is the first level of accepting reality. If not for this you're a grown-up child and a child doesn't have reality. The definition of a child is fantasy. Disney World was created for the child within you. So step number one in this week's Torah portion. So serious that four-fifths died. They couldn't accept reality. The first level is, am I willing to stop being the tail swinging on the rear end of society? Can I have an opinion knowing good and well that many of my opinions are going to be wrong and I'm going to have to be a real grown-up and go back and say I made a mistake and now let's try a different way. By the way, have any of you done studies on some of the famous millionaires, including Disney World, including Macy's? Have any of you done a study of how many times these individuals, filed for bankruptcy before they made it big? Do a study on it, by the way. Amazing. See, because in Hollywood, you never see that part. You see the first scene, they're struggling. The sexi- this, the second scene comes along, and there's this a miracle that happens. The third scene, they're just unbelievably successful. What you don't get to see in the real story is that most of these people fa- fell flat on their face so many times but they were willing to get up and try again they were not going to stay in Egypt no matter what step number one accepting reality none of us none of us were created to be followers none of us were created to be codependent none of us were created to be slaves Each and every one of us was created to fulfill the mandate of freedom of choice. Now, because this freedom of choice is going to have to be teshuva, because part of freedom of choice is making mistakes. Sometimes in anger, sometimes in foolishness, sometimes in temptation and heat, but that's part of freedom of choice. It's just part, just like part of becoming rich is filing for bankruptcy it's just the way it works you got to get up and try again now let's go to the second level the second level is very complex because the biggest problem we have is to dance on two weddings at the same time that's very very challenging you want me to dance in shul and in college at the same time. The Jew has to be successful in whatever he or she sets as their secular goal. The worst thing you can ever do is blame God and religion for not succeeding your goal. It's that simple. Guys, it's like keeping kosher. You go into Publix, Winn-Dixie, Costco, you're going to see four different brands of peanut butter one of them is going to have an OU it's the same with success there are many different roads one of those roads are kosher it's just that simple so stop blaming religion what I would be and what I could be if I wouldn't have had to keep the laws of modesty if I wouldn't have had to keep the laws of Shabbat I wouldn't have to yada 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 So this becomes extremely, extremely difficult. You got to be successful physically, financially, emotionally, and all the other things. There's a teaching from the Rebbe, blessed memory, in his calendar called Hayom Yom. Someone who has the capacity of deep sea diving for pearls and is in a coal mine, he is wasting his life. There are different, just different opportunities, different talents, different destiny. If you downgrade your destiny, you're actually wasting God's gifts. The biggest question, my dear friends, that you're going to have to answer when you face God is not going to be why you sinned. God gets that. The biggest question you're going to have to answer is what did you do with the talents and the gifts that I gave you? Now give me an answer for that. We're all so frightened that we're going to have to answer God. We spoke flesh and horror. We spoke, and we will, we will. Don't get me wrong. I'm not giving you no, no free pass here. We'll answer for all of those. But those are secondary. Because understand that the soul did not descend into this world not to sin. The soul descended into this world to accomplish. So if you come back to heaven and tell God I did not do one sin but I also didn't accomplish a thing because I just went into a monastery locked the door and waited till I died. What do you think God's going to say? He sent you down to do nothing? So being able to say that I tripped on the road I got dirty, I made a mistake I got angry, I couldn't deal with temptation that's human but to say that god i was too afraid to trust any of your gifts or talents that you gave to me that's unexcusable that's just inexcusable you can't tell that to god so here is the absolute challenge for the jew can you embrace both the hand and the glove can you embrace that you're on a spiritual journey As a physical human being. Can you embrace that in order to go ahead and be able to keep Shabbat you're gonna have to work double as hard for five days. You're gonna have to be smarter, come up with new inventions, outdo your competition because they have the weekend over you and the weekend is huge when you're in retail. That's a question you have to ask. This concept of living a spiritual life as a physical human being. This concept of understanding that if you want to send your kids to Jewish education, and if you have three kids, you now need an extra $90,000 a year. That's real. And if you don't make money, it's going to affect your spiritual life. It's that simple. Your kids are going to end up in public school, not going to have a Jewish education, and all who's to blame? God, because Jewish education cost money and I couldn't make enough money. And why couldn't I make enough money? Because God tied my hands behind my back. Go look at the 365 no-no's and you'll find out why I couldn't make money. To be able to have the paradigm and understand that the God that created the laws of nature is the God that said, do not work on Shabbat. So it's impossible that I cannot be successful in nature if I don't work on Shabbat because they both have the same God the same author the same controller that's the question of the splitting of the sea when you see that land and ocean are both one they work in harmony now we're accepting the second level of reality we're accepting the second level of reality that this world is an opportunity to have your pursuit of happiness as who you are and you don't need to compromise one for the other. We don't need to run into hiding. Well, no, 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 I can't, I can't, I'm a Jew. You don't need to run into hiding. I'm sorry, you know, my parents and I would grow up as a kid and I didn't have a thing and my kids are not going to grow up like that. So I'm sorry. I just won't be able to wear a keeper, I won't be able to go to kosher restaurants with my clients. I just can't do that. Not to run to either one of those. To be able to see what the Jews saw when the water split, when malchut split, when the glove on God's hand became transparent. Now, in closing, I tell very many people when I sit with them, you come and you ask me what? When you know good and well That what is not a question. You know what. What you don't know is how. Let's be very clear. We know what reality is. We know that we were born to be free. We also know that we were born to be successful, God-fearing Jews. But we waste so much time playing ping-pong with the what That we never face the real question, how. And the only way you can move from that ping pong game of self affliction, of the what, is by accepting reality. Reality is that we may have lived lives of slaves, of codependence, but we are not codependents and we are not slaves. We have a choice. We may have thought that we had to either compromise our religious duties or our successful duties. But we know that it's not true. We know it. But because we're playing games, do I accept or do I not accept, right? That's flower, he loves me, loves me not, loves me, loves me not. That's what we do. I'm a free, I'm not free, I'm free, I'm not free, I'm free, I'm not free. That's what we suffer with, day in and day out religious successful religious successful until we don't put down that daisy and just accept the reality just accept reality we are free people and we are free Jewish people free Jewish people that have the capacity and the freedom to have pursuit of happiness both physically and spiritually now we take the nine-tenths of our brain that was so busy playing ping-pong thinking that I'll never figure it out and we bring it into the real question. How? Forget the what. It's done. It's done. I had no choice. The C split for me and I can no more play that game. I know what. Now let me put all my Yiddish All the talents and capacity and brilliance. Let's put it into where it really belongs. How can I make it? I want to have a Yiddish home. I want my kids to receive Jewish education. I want them to be able to be professionals. I want to be able to live with financial security and more. How do I make this all work? How? How do I find a person that has the same priorities in life like I do? Strongly Jewish with a great understanding of the need of success, including financial success. How do I go about that? How do I present myself that way? How do I fulfill that famous book secret and attract that back? How can I always live in the how instead of the what? And that's what we call accepting reality. Thank you.